Hey guys, welcome back to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. I'm Dylan Hartley and this is the pod that takes you inside the England camp for chats with the men and women wearing the rose. Today, I'm joined by two former teammates of mine, veterans of England's front row, Joe Marler and Mako Vonopola. We caught up the morning after they played Wales in the Autumn Nations Cup. Boys, congratulations on beating Wales yesterday. Mako, scoring tries again. Where does that one rank? in your uh, top three tries? Well, I've only scored two, so... <laughs> That's why I said top three tries? <laughs> no, no. Launches has been getting into me about, oh, you're welcome, mate. Thank you. <laughs> so I've been uh, giving a lot of credit to Launches for getting me over the line. But as you said, I don't score many tries, so it's nice to get a meat pie. Big Joe Launchbury, for those that don't know, he's probably one of the heaviest in the team. And I'd say 80% of... He's like an iceberg. 80% of that's in his um, bottom half or in his bum um, but he, he did the same with Jack Willis didn't he he's got a good tactic he lets someone smaller pick up the ball then he picks up that person and just like smashes him towards the try line um, you're playing a final this weekend uh, you're playing France there's going to be fans back in the ground how excited are you about that oh, it'd be good to have fans back I think it's been strange playing in Twickenham with no one there and finals you can't you can't take them for granted to have an opportunity like that this weekend would be good but the boys have got a bit of a break now and coming next week when we're buzzing for it. As you can see by Joe's face, he's excited to get home. I think we need to bring Joe in. How are you, Joe? Dylan. Obviously not playing yesterday. Yeah. And being a front row forward, have you been put through the extra fitness kind of regime? I don't want to delve too deep into it because I, I do pretty well in terms of blacking out some of those sessions that I'm involved in. And if I talk about it again, it kind of brings up all these um, dark memories of them. <laughs> I was obviously on uh, punditry yesterday, so I was down at the game. When all the kind of cameras have been packed up and all the teams have gone back inside and because there's no fans, no one's hanging about, it's kind of like you see that soul-destroying kind of two or three players out there that have only played like 5, 10, 15 minutes of game time and they've obviously got to do top-up fitness. What's the sort of cut-off point where you've got to do extra fitness? There is no cut-off point. The goalposts uh, change depending on who you are of the cut-off points. So there's no legit cut-off points. It's just fancy a little blast of those words. Fancy one, like rhetorical though. Yeah, Yeah. rhetorical. (laughs) It used to be like, I think it was like 20 minutes. So if you got on with 20 minutes to go, that would get you out of doing extra fitness after a game. So, like, if you got 19 minutes, you'd be you'd be fuming. You'd be running onto the field, not even thinking about the game. You'd be thinking about what fitness you got to do afterwards. Hello, darkness, my old friend. <laughs> not even, mate. You come on for 29 minutes, you're like, yeah, yeah, fancy a blast, mate. <laughs> oh, my last game I ever played, I got pulled off at half time, and I got uh, I got asked if I fancied a blast after the game. <laughs> And did you? Uh, no, I didn't fancy it actually because when you, when you play front row and you're 33 years old and I know both of you are knocking on the door, your body seizes up. So anytime you kind of see a front row player going back onto the field for an injury replacement, oh, it's um, the worst. yeah, it's, it's they're fully like seized up. So um, no. On the, on that note, how are you boys feeling? Mako 29, Joe 30? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm feeling wonderful. I feel like a like a 19 year old all over again. Do you? <laughs> you don't look at me. I'm trying to stay positive here. The days where you could just rock up and train are gone. I'm in the I'm in the gym warming up 45 minutes before we start. At least, <laughs> at least 45. We minutes. walk down and hurt like an hour early. 
to the training ground and Mako's in the gym. He's already been there half hour, getting warmed up. I'm there, right? I'm like, I've got to warm up now. This is ridiculous. It used to be the case where you didn't have to do a single bit of warm up. You could just run onto the field and be like, yeah, I feel great. And now we have to warm up. Give us a little bit of insight of what warm up looks like because it's not like you go down and get your boots on and you know run to each corner of the field and, and roll your ankles and you know, <laughs> swing your arms. What's a fire up or a, an hour's warm up look like? Uh, so for me, I need to get like my hips moving. So <laughs> so I'd be with the bands in their occlusion cuffs, uh, doing a few like movements, and then there's actually quite a lot of breathing into it as well. So they heavy uh, breathing, yeah, a lot of breathing. Yeah. So trying to open up the ribs and stuff, and then once we got there, it's some people like are running around. I'm trying to do some hops so so I can get my hips moving and firing up. Joe, what about you? What's what's a fire up look like? The conditioners have won me round on this RPR. RPR, yeah. RPR stuff where it's like massaging all these trigger points in your body to make you stronger and stuff like that. And I used to think it was a load of nonsense to have to rely on someone to like massage you before to get you ready for a session. I was like, just get out there and do it yourself. And then they started doing it to me and I felt wonderful and I had to give into it. I went, okay, this this is me now. So yeah, I go down there and they just start tickling all my pressure points. I used to get it done. They kind of trigger point your jaw, tickle your chest, and then all of a sudden, like your hamstring, like all your nerves are relaxed. And yeah, and then is pow, that's sort of done. Thing? It's like magic, right? Yeah. Hey, Mako, you've got to actually go do some work. Joe, you lie there and get massaged. <laughs> that's what you call. Hey, that's what you call your warm up. Hey, it, all, it all counts. It does all count. All counts. Can, can I just say, like Mako, you're 30 in a couple of months. Um, it's all downward from there. So I reckon I have to do an hour of both of what you're doing. But then each year towards 40, you've got to add like a half hour. By the end of it, I was doing like three three or four hours pre-training, like swimming pool, uh, mobility, stretching. For some reason, uh, I always got asked if I fancy doing a little bit before training as well. <laughs> to be fair, you used to get absolutely hammered. <laughs> little blast here, but you fancy <laughs> a little blast. Legs. Do you remember bacon and eggs? He'd always be in He invented, he didn't, he was, he was the permanent fixture in bacon and eggs. We'd come for breakfast and he'd be sweating. He's like, "Dude, you're right, mate." He's like, yeah, shut up, blast him. Shut up, get on with it. <laughs> just fancied, a, just fancied a little bit. <laughs> what I find really interesting about your voice is that you're you're still quite heavily Kiwi. You have been for a long time until you just said forty. You said it like I said. Yeah, I'm confused. Um, I've been here sixteen years. It's it kind of bounces in between. Actually, Mucko, you you you're obviously born in New Zealand yourself. Um, you came over when you were sub 10 years old and you yeah, went to yeah. Wales. Yeah. So, I mean, you've gone New Zealand, Wales, St. Albans. Yeah. <laughs> was it as straightforward as that? No, it was, uh, there's, yeah, so pretty much, but Wales, Bristol, and then obviously St. Albans now, but I didn't really live long enough in New Zealand to have the New Zealand accent, but I probably still have the Welsh time. Probably. <laughs> Especially when I have a few drinks as well. And yesterday, you and Tobes. Oh, shit. boy, how you doing? Your, your dad obviously been a, a rugby player. Was, was it just drilled into you and, and Billy from a young age? Or is it something that you kind of pursued? Or is it did it just happen? So him playing rugby was, we watched that obviously, but he was massive on us being more into our academics. He tried to push school a lot more than he did rugby. Didn't really work, but um, 
me and my brother just always wanted to play rugby uh, and he almost made it so that rugby was too hard that we'd want to go back to school but it didn't work and here we are. <laughs> Wait, I've seen photos of you and Billy when you were kids. Rugby would not have been hard unless you were playing against men. <laughs> you know, it wasn't hard but there was a lot of walking in rugby so what he did was make us, so there's a few times where he'd make us run home from games and if we didn't run in, enough in the game he'd make us do extra running here and there so before school, he'd be like, oh, we'll do some running after school. So the whole day at all, I'd be thinking about, oh, damn, we've got some training tonight. And <laughs> <laughs> Try and figure out a way to get out of it. But You're still thinking like that. <laughs> I, was, I was about to say, nothing's <laughs> changed there. No, mate, I'm not going to lie. Like Training is not easy. So you learn to get used to it. <laughs> Joe, what about you, mate? London South East? Where, where did you kind of um, get involved? I, I know in my notes here it says you had a top that said Fizco on the back of it. Could you explain the, the Fizco? No. <laughs> I wasn't brought up in London South East. Well, it sounds like you're from South East. From Sussex, mate. It's a very lovely, rural, affluent area. don't know if you looked at the map, mate, but Sussex is in the South East. <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in a lovely little town called Heathfield, and uh, I'm still living there now. Still there, so. oh, yeah. still there now. <laughs> well, you haven't, you haven't told me the bit where like you found rugby. Oh, well, rugby kind of found me, mate. I was a big, fat, chubby kid. I couldn't really do a lot else apart from fill a five-a-side football goal on occasion. <laughs> Even then, I'd probably let goals in. But uh, yeah, I just like rugby because um, any anyone could do it. Anyone still can do it. <laughs> Look what I'm doing. <laughs> So yeah, what about Fizco? Is there, is there any truth to that? <laughs> what is Fizco? If mate, if you want to know, you'll have to uh you'll have to buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, Marco, I'll, I'll tell you, Fizco, they basically spelt the name Psycho wrong and it ended up as Fizco on his shirt. So when, his, his early nickname was Fizco. It's followed me ever since, isn't it really? Hi, I'm Emily Scarrett and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Let's talk about front row play, boys. Because um, you guys are, for, for me, when I look at a front rower and people think about rugby union and a front rower, it's stereotypical, kind of big guy, not very well conditioned. But if you look at front rowers now, Joe, you, you're completely different to what I imagine. Mako, you're still kind of flying the flag for the common man. <laughs> A bit like I did. You give hope to the, you know, the bloke sat at home on his couch going, I can do what he's doing. But um, just your roles within the game have completely changed probably since when you started. Because you guys have been playing a good decade now. Um, how have you seen it change? Oh, mate, it's, it's changed in terms of people understand you've got to do more than just set piece. But it's, ne- it's not changed in terms of you're only ever judged on your set piece. Everything is the scrum and line up. Uh, and if you can't do that, then you can't play pretty much. But what's expected of you is not just to do that. You kind of have to get around the pitch and do your other bits as well. So for me, that's that's probably the biggest difference. Is more emphasis on everything else you do. But nothing's changed in terms of unless you get the scrum right, you won't play. What about how much the scrum's changed as well? Yeah. You look back at some of those scrums 10 years ago when we first started... Do you remember when the crouch, touch, pause? Oh, engage. Oh, oh my, my God. God. And it would be like a metre and a half run up into it. 
I think it's a lot safer now. I think the the changes have made it a lot safer and a lot more technical. Whereas back in the days, like you say, it was like crouch, hold, engage. It wasn't even a pause or touch. It was just like <laughs> fly into that gap and uh, good luck, biggest and heaviest team win, basically. It was carnage. What do you love about scrummaging? Or is it just kind of something you got to do? Do you, do you love it? I, I love it. I love it because it's one of the very few opportunities in a game that is like a controlled uh, skill where you're you're one on one, eight on eight, and only it's kind of only you and your front row and the opposition front row that can affect things here, rather than someone running too quick, some all that. Do you know what I mean? It's it's that sort of head on head battle with an opposition, and uh... it's the only one, really, isn't it? The only one where you're going head to head, like beat your opposition man, like the opposition player. I, I love it how you're saying it's like a closed skill, effectively, but it's like a collective. The yeah. close skill and everyone looks at front row and when you know yesterday there's scrum pins left right center all everyone talks about in comms is like the front row so like just like when a line out goes wrong it's the hooker when the scrum goes wrong it's the front row but can you give a little bit of um insight into that the the collective how you rely on everyone around you <laughs> yeah well during the week <laughs> we had um uh, scrum training and we were shy of a second row so they put was it Jack Willis? Oh, yeah. Total it was Curry. Jack this week. But the, Curry, oh, yeah. Really. Last week it was Curry who got binned out of the uh, second row. And this week it was Jack Willis. And Genji was not happy. He was like, I'm not getting enough here. And I was spare. And he said, Marla, you got your 21s on? I went, yeah. He said, get behind me. <laughs> so there was me and Joe Launchbury in the second row. <laughs> Just, that's, a heavy, that's a heavy second row. Heavy. Uh, but, you know, the difference. Genji had in actually having someone able to push behind. And what I'm trying to say is that the importance of having some weight, especially Slosh Bucket's weight. Um... Confirm who Slosh Bucket is. <laughs> You've done it there. Oh, no. <laughs> he's kind of absolutely bit, yeah. you Your second row partner. <laughs> Slosh Bucket. He's, got, he's actually got so many nicknames as a joke. <laughs> Sloshbury. No, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Yeah, well, leave, leave leave biscuit alone. <laughs> um, <laughs> leave, him alone. <laughs> leave him alone. Anyway, the point I was trying to make was that without decent second rows, weighty second rows giving us that support from behind, you're pretty much null and void as a front rower. So it's all about the collective. You, you know, like the secret boss when like the the owner or the CEO of a company, they, they go right down to the bottom of the chain and they, they kind of work there to get a better understanding. Have you got a better understanding of what your second rows go through? <laughs> is it a place of comfort or is it a place of uh, attrition? I have a lot more respect for them now. <laughs> um, put it that because way. Because I, I never did it. I never went in. I had no interest. The only thing I would have done is probably lent on the flank in a yeah. scrum session. And that's not hard either. <laughs> So, Joe, you've, you've kind of told us about the importance of your second rows, um, their weight kind of locking you in. You probably need their feet kind of in the deck, nice and solid. Marco, what about back row, number eight, your brother? It makes a difference when you have a 130 kilo, number eight. Stopping at 130, you? I'm trying to be nice to him. Oh, you'd be nice to your brother, but not slosh, fine. <laughs> you started that. <laughs> but no, it makes a difference when you have someone who's his weight, what about mentally? One scrum, you dominate, then you've got to pack down, and then you get dominated, or you're on the wrong side of a riffing call. How do you approach um, every scrum? Mate, international rugby now, it's, 
you're never guaranteed anything. Teams are always going to adapt. Uh, and they showed yesterday, actually. The game changed. Well, the scrums, well, we were dominant or we had a few calls, are we? First half and then second half, they changed a few things and, and then it changed a little bit. So you kind of have to adapt to the opposition, but no team's going to ever let you have exactly what you want. But like in terms of every scrum is a new battle, really. Every time you go in, you understand that they're going to try and take away from you and they're going to do the same. That's part of the beauty of it as well, though, that you can be dominant in one and then get your pants pulled down in the next one because it is that difficult a skill to even get parity on something. Yeah, your mindset, you always have to be on it. Otherwise, even if you've dominated one, you, you'll you get your pants pulled down the next. What, what about that sort of release where you like kind of man shame or completely dominate uh, kind of destroy morale of the opposition. Have you guys kind of got a favourite sort of scrub or have you ever got like a pushover try? And you know that sort of release as a collective, you've dominated that other eight? Uh, I remember one in the um, 2013 Argentina tour. You were in Australia with the Lions, but uh, one of the <laughs> pen tries that we got, we had them going backwards and it was Dave Wilson at tight head, big moose. And that was as we were going forward, as we got the opposition going backwards, and he split the loose head and, and the hooker, you just hear, moose! Moose! As he goes through, I'm like, what's going on here? Moose! <laughs> I was like, nice moose. Oh, oh, you see that moose? <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> Hi, I'm Courtney, England Lock, here to remind you to leave us a rating and a review at the end of the podcast. Cheers. Okay, so let's move on to discipline. Like, As an individual, do you accept it's who you are and it's in your game? Because I wasn't athletic like you, Mucker. I wasn't overly strong like you, Joe, or skillful like you both. I had to play with like a combative, in-your-face, confrontational edge and I accepted that was who I was my my question to you Joe is I see you playing on that edge and do you know what enjoying yourself as well it's like you enjoy the subplot within the game can you can you shed any light on it yeah I I love the physicality of the sport that's what gets me really excited about playing it sometimes I've gone over the top with that and made mistakes with it but that's just part and parcel of it it took me a long time to realise my, my early misdemeanours were like a young buck not really caring about the team or having any appreciation for being part of the team. It was like, oh, it's all about me, all about me. And it took me a long time to realise that my actions affect the team in terms of whether they have to work that bit harder for an extra 10 minutes or... I'm giving away three, six, nine points or getting a red card and, and getting banned and then not being available for selection for, for a number of weeks was actually letting my teammates down. So, um, yeah, it just took me a while to sort of realise that. And uh, I'd like to think I have more of appreciation of discipline and what it means um, for the team to stay disciplined. But back to the physicality side of it, you said you you play on that edge and sometimes it's a fine line between going over the top and, and not. So there's no guarantee it won't happen to me again, but I'd like to think that I'm 
in a little bit more control of it. On the flip side of the coin, Mako, you just seem so relaxed. Like, actually, you're you're famous. I've seen you hit a few players, but they're only your own players, and it's the big tongue and mitt <laughs> slapping people's bums, telling them to get out of rucks. What, what's your approach to it? No, uh, in terms of discipline, I guess I've been in, been lucky in terms I've never really been caught in any of those situations, but... And also, sometimes when they they try to do I'm too tired to even bother trying to fight back. So I'm almost like, oh, yeah, crack on, mate, and <laughs> just move on. I can't say there's anything special I do. Like Joe says, uh, it's all about the team, really. So all I try and do is focus on what I can do for them. Yeah. Do, do you know what? I'm, I'm with Joe on that. There's no worse feeling when you sat there for 10 minutes or even worse, off the field completely, and you're seeing your team get hurt because you know how much the boys put in. And it's those kind of... The, the shame or the guilt of letting the team down far outweighs any of the sort of personal or media narrative that I probably had to deal with. It was, it was literally just the team I cared about. Let's talk about the journey. Like, and, and you touched on it before when you're talking about like warm-ups. You know, when you come in and you're a young player, you can just kind of crack on. Everything's bright, new, shiny, exciting. But both of you now have been in professional rugby for, for a decade. And you've been around that England team for a long time. How have you found like where you're sat now in terms of experience, your role within the team, the expectation on you? How have you both found that sort of journey and where you're at now? Spoke about this, didn't we? The first week in, in camp, we sat down having dinner together and we we're looking around the room. <laughs> both looked at each other like, when did we get old? <laughs> we look around the room and we're like, I don't know half the boys in here. Like... We do now getting to know the younger boys that come through, but we're like, when did we become 30? Those th- those 30-year-olds. feels like yesterday, like yeah. when you join in and you're the young one and trying to kind of, you're just excited about the new things, like you said. But now, as as Marla said, we're in the gym, we're doing weights, and we're just like, <laughs> almost like sighing, like, geez, he's strong, isn't he? <laughs> Mate, the kids coming through now, like, we, we rely on them to to give us that energy, that sort of freshness that you have as a youngster. But at the same time, it's scary how good they are that you go, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> like some of the stuff like you see, even Genji, jeez, oh, he, he is so powerful, so fast. You're like, flipping out, he's the same position as me. <laughs> I'm just compared to that. <laughs> the other day, you like chased down Ben Hill. Like, and I'm like, Ridiculous. oh, my goodness. Ridiculous. Out of nowhere, makes it look easy. Yeah, effectively, that was me with... Jinx and uh, Dickie coming after me, <laughs> like doing things that I couldn't do. But like every rugby team is built on experience, every successful one. So like you guys have a role, you're needed because you've earned all those caps, all that experience, all that gameplay, all that wisdom. As a young guy, like professional rugby, when you've got no dependence is easy. When it's just you and you can be selfish and you're in control of your life, it is easy. But as soon as you have a wife, partner, kids at home. It's not about you anymore. So as I got older, as my kids got older, I found it harder and harder to go away every time and and give myself to the team where I knew at home I was needed as well. How have you boys found that? Because you both got young families. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one, especially as my lot are, are getting older now and and starting to realise I'm not about more, which is, which is nice <clears throat> in a way because they get upset with me leaving. It's nice because it's like, oh, wow, they do like me. That's cool. But, you know, it's not nice to, to have to leave them all the time. But 
they understand why I'm doing it for selfishly, for my career, for my own needs, but also the job side of it. You know, I'm, I'm providing for them. I'm providing them clothes on their back, a roof over their head. And at the moment, this is the only way it's I know. It's good to know you're doing those things, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way I know how to. So You, um, um, you, you talked about why you're doing it. And um, a lot of, uh, I don't know if the listeners will, will know, but you know, a lot of sports teams talk about your why, you know, what motivates you? Why do you do this, this job? Why do you put yourself through the pain and you know, the, the training sessions and, and whatnot? Ultimately, has your why changed throughout your career? Obviously, when you're young, you know, why did you want to be professional? Why did you want to play the game? Yeah, it has changed. Like you said, like when you're young, you're just kind of selfishly trying to be the best player you can be and trying to see where you can get to. Now that you have a family, like Joe said, you want to provide for them. But you also want to make them happy, make them proud. To be fair, like, as I've got older, it's actually made it easier coming away. It's not easier in terms of leaving them, but easier in the reason I'm here. You're enjoying it, and you know that you're here because you want to make them proud, but also make it worthwhile, because you are sacrificing a lot by being away from your family. And you want to make it worthwhile, that sacrifice. And to be fair, like, it does get harder when you get older, but I say the older I've got, I've enjoyed it a lot more as well. Because you're getting more sleep. That's good. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say, Mako, this is where we need to confirm that Mako actually, whenever he's not eating, training, firing up, he is sleeping. I like your brother's answer to it though, because he said it's actually a proven form of recovery. So he's always recovering. It is. It is. They said that the best form of recovery is sleep. So. Yeah. They say about nine hours, not 22. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually sleeping a little bit less than I used to, but yeah, still. Joe, you had, you had time away from from international rugby. Why can you can you explain that for us? Can you can you talk us through it? Yeah, I was I was having um, some struggles with my mental health, and um, a big part of that I thought would help would be to take away a, an extra stress of going away, leaving the family. Um, on England camps and stepping away from that sort of pressure cooker but it didn't make a huge difference I was still struggling because I, I was thinking that that was the reasons and it wasn't it wasn't until I explored slightly deeper into things that that wasn't the real reasons behind it so when I did get my stuff together um, get some help I then was gifted an opportunity by Eddie to to come back and give it a crack um, in a completely different mind frame and uh you know enjoyed it enjoyed it ever since mate so as part of that process like i've just scratched the surface on that question and you've just opened up completely about it as part of you accepting that you had that uh that challenge part of accepting that and being able to talk about it so openly has it made this sort of thing easier to talk about it yeah massively that i guess the whole issue around it was not being able to talk about it or not understanding it giving into the stigma around mental health um, yeah so how long how long had you been feeling like that it makes me feel really bad as as a teammate i'm assuming we're friends uh, <laughs> and especially as a captain like not knowing that that was going on while i was with you like how long had you been kind of but that, that that's that that's up? part of it isn't it i didn't i didn't no one ever seems to want people to know that stuff's stuff like that's going on with with guys so you know you try and keep it as hidden as as possible you you know the laughing and the joking and the the mickey taking 
you don't want to burden other people with any sort of issues. Why have I got issues? That all these questions that you know I try put into bed and all that lot. So please don't feel guilty about um, not recognizing it. Uh, I'm just trying to be a little bit more proactive in in helping other guys realize you, it's okay to to talk about it. it's it's actually better to share how you're feeling particularly with a, a group that we've got now that have got young families that might be finding it hard being away from them might be finding it hard in in the in this environment um to actually open up and talk and, and help them relax more do, do you think you know not even just being a bloke because blokes hardly talk but being a rugby player having that sort of macho stereotype and especially as a front row because front rowers are really hard did that make it did that make it any harder and, and being public as well, like you, you are a person of interest. You, you're not Fisco down the local pub. You're, you're Joe Marlow, international <laughs> rugby player. Fisco. Yeah, of course it, it made it harder. It made it very hard because you, you worry that you'll be judged for that. You worry that it'll be used against you somehow. It'll be used as a weakness. It'll be somewhat trivialised, like, oh, he's all right. Just get on with it. Just... You know, the old, it's man up, you know, you're soft, all this sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was hard to be like that. But the more I've done it, the, selfishly, the easier it's been for me and also the guys that I've spoken to as well to try and encourage to talk more, of, of, uh, it's helped them as well. Marco, as a, an elder statesman of the team, hearing about and understanding uh, Joe slightly better, does it make you approach kind of new guys coming into the team that that sort of welcoming and getting to know people does it has it made you approach that any different yeah definitely I think you can't underestimate how um, your interaction with people affects them as Joe's talking about there the more you open up about stuff like that then people see that especially with someone in Joe's character like he's been in and around this team for a long time and he's as you said, like someone who's integral to the English team, when someone like him opens up stuff like that, people younger coming in, they see that and they think, oh, I can be myself. Then in turn, you have to be, allow them to be like that. It then helps the team because people coming in are here for a reason. And if they can't be themselves and what's made them come in, then we're, we're not getting the best out of them. So in terms of approaching younger guys, all you want to do is give them an environment where they can flourish and not feel like they have to change to fit in with the environment. Because, as I said, like they're coming in because they're good rugby players. And to get the most out of them, they have to be themselves. So you can't you can't really be, oh, he needs to do this, this, this. He just needs, we're basically saying he needs to be themself, themself. so then they get the best out of them. Uh, Marco, is, is part of you being yourself the rude haircuts? <laughs> Mate, can I just say iconic in, in some ways and, and now the young bucks are following Alice Ginge is, is rocking the mucko <laughs> Tom Curry for a while was was claiming that he started it but you've been I don't know half shaving your head for a long time <laughs> you're the original V-cut <laughs> yeah. you're the original well, have, you, have think... you got a name for it no well it's the standard Islander cut that to be honest <laughs> I can't take credit for that any Islander you see they come over they have the straight like back and side is gone but the back the mullet has gone now that I have a family and obviously a fiance now, she's not very happy with me growing it any longer than it is now. So I can't, back in the day where I can grow a bit more and I'm a bit more of a rat tail. Mako, if Joe Marler's words have ever meant anything, it's right now. Do not conform. Just be yourself. 
<laughs> I mean, Joe, let's talk about your haircuts. Let's not. Iconic in their own right. <laughs> I think the first one I ever saw on you said sausage. Hey, there's a reason I got a hat on, right? My days are numbered in several ways. I, I know we're, we're both in the same camp, but um, it's stress and, and a life. Now that you're on, uh, now row. that you're on TV, making or breaking boys' careers, are you uh, are you going to get your lid done or what? Oh man! <laughs> Do you know what? It was it was halftime yesterday, and um, and the halftime advert is about a bloke shaking some foam in his hair, and I'm like, if the signs, you know. The signs are there. I, I do need to get so it. So that's a yes, out. then. <laughs> yeah, I might give it a couple more years and just you know, when I really look at myself and go, "That's terrible," it needs to come off. But yeah, talk talk to us about the. Um, I think the first haircut I saw you ever have was was it red or pink, and it said sausage. And isn't it ironic that um, Alice Genge refers to people as sausages, <laughs> silly sausages. <laughs> You've always been yourself in in that right, I suppose. You've always been individual, which I like. Yeah, I've always I've always enjoyed ridiculous haircuts. I now sit here regretting doing the amount of dyeing that I did to it as every time I get out of the shower and I dry my hair a little bit a little <laughs> bit just comes out bit by bit. So um, you know, if I had my time again, I'd go back and dye it less. But yeah, the pe- the the red one was probably one of my favorites. I did have a blue rinse once. That wasn't good. I've always enjoyed it, mate. Mm. You've got a hell of a beard, mate. Yeah, thanks. Take a lot of pride in that. This is Jamie George, and you're listening to the England Rugby Podcast with O2 Inside Line. Between you two, there's a good 20 years of international rugby. You know, plenty of good memories. (laughs) Hang on a minute. No, there's not. It's not 20 years. You can't just like keep going with this narrative that we are ancient. We are old, but we're not ancient. Well, you've got your own 10 years of experience. Uh, Mako's got his 10 years of experience. Like, that's 20 years. Quick maths, isn't it? You know, like loads of people talk about their favourite moments. People talk about their first caps. Joe Marla, your first cap was quite memorable. I remember that one. Shirt presentation. <laughs> <laughs> elaborate, elaborate. Don't think we need yeah, to. Yeah, I bet it's the question. Can you can you talk us through it? Uh, it's not it's not up there with one of my top three <laughs> I need to moments, to be honest. So what happened? Who presented your? Shirt? I don't think it needs speaking about. Does it? it was in England. I don't think it's it easier right? because I think we're all right, are we? I think we're every just, player. That what's comes your favourite moment in England, shirt, Mac? And Joe, every player has to do it's it's, it's one of the things you have to do. No, 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 Dylan. There is always a choice. <laughs> he says this. There's a choice of bacon and eggs, yet he's always there. <laughs> yeah, I'm choosing to be there, obviously. It doesn't matter who it is, but a player got up. He was very emotional, and it was your first cap, so it was emotional for you. You know, all, all your work and graft and all the volunteers and your family, people that put time into you, all your coaches. This is your moment. You're feeling emotional. But then this guy gets up to present your shirt, and he got emotional. Then he ended up crying and blubbering all over your shirt, using it as a tissue, and then presenting it to you. And the whole room was just dumbfounded with what had just happened. We didn't even understand what had been said. And you were kind of presented this soggy shirt. In terms of friendships, relationships, um, what you know, what have you learned from the game? And obviously, you're still learning. But what are the what are the best things about the game for you guys? Joe? Mine, mine's the friends and the memories we've made, particularly off-field. Do you miss Dan Cole? Oh, yes. the sheriff. Yes, he does. Oh, 
He's not the same. Not the same. I'll never be the same without Dan. I was going to say, what, what's Coley up to? You st- stay in touch? Or you just been miserable up in Leicester? <laughs> yeah, he's just contained his misery to Leicester at the minute. He's actually really happy apparently because uh, Borfers is up there now with him. And uh, Fordy was saying they got a strange relationship where they really like each other, but they don't say it out openly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can get this photo up um, of Dan Cole returning to pre-season, getting the COVID test. <laughs> Did you see that? that was just right. He was just praying, praying for it to be... 38 and above, <laughs> wasn't he? <laughs> he looked chuffed to be there. Uh, Marco, what about you? What are, what are the biggest kind of takeaways from the game? What, what do you love about it? Same as Joe, like the relationships you create as a player, uh, lifelong friends, but also like the experiences you have. Like you do some travelling as a rugby player and you go some places where you're very lucky to go. Like um, So off the top of my head, like Japan for me was one of the best trips of my life and Marco, can you stop pretending that you go out of the hotel? Like you've got you're like international do, duvet I'm man, changed, like I'm you changed. know the, the best beds and um, duvets around the world. Oh, the hotels we go to are lovely. <laughs> <laughs> no, like genuine though, I've changed it. I've, I've actually ventured out for at least ten minutes. <laughs> do, do you drink coffee yet? Uh, I I go out and now and then I will have coffee, but more often than not, I'll have warm milk. Just warm milk, is it? It gets them ready for bed, <laughs> doesn't it? Just warm milk. <laughs> Just warm milk. Yeah. Brilliant. Boys, to finish this, um, I'm going to flip it on his head. You get to ask me a question. So, Joe Mala, I'll throw it to you first. So now now that you're a poacher turned gamekeeper, do you now look back on all those critics that you had during your career and think about them when you're actually doing your media bits now? Yeah, I do, 100%. And because I was always on the the wrong side of those critics or the narrative. Uh, I try and think about the human element of when commenting on a player. Do you know what? Media was something I never thought I'd do because I detested the media. I I didn't have a good relationship with them. But then again, you know, I'm enjoying doing things with like Sam Warburton, Paul O'Connell. I think opinion is, is outdated and what I'm trying to do is when I do it is try and put a positive spin on rugby and actually talk about what's happening in the game instead of just rolling out the usual kind of platitudes that you hear. Poacher turn gamekeeper, don't know about that. I'm just <laughs> trying to provide for my family, Joe. Just trying to put shirts on the backs of my kids and a, a roof over their head. It's a very large roof. It's a very yeah. nice roof you have. I know, yeah. Which room is that? Very like roof. Four, oh, yeah. Lovely. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> Right, are we, uh, Marco, have you got a question so I can get you boys off? Who's your favourite person to be around at camp? Um, no one. I enjoy being in my room by myself, if I'm honest. It was, my, it was like my, my safe place where I didn't have to, uh, where, where coaches or management couldn't find me. Didn't so have as soon to do as I got little blasts room, in like, your room. <laughs> but no, in terms of um, energy givers, people that make you laugh, I think James Haskell was always always good fun. I think Eddie just had him there to, to do that. Yeah. I think he actually told him that. He did. He said, Hask, you're hanging on with your fingernails. <laughs> oh, God. This seems like history's repeating itself. <laughs> oh, I understand my role now. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, is anyone doing that now? That's you, Joe Marla. <laughs> Professional court jester. You never know what you're going to get with those two, but I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Drop us a review to let us know and share this episode with a mate or on your socials. 
I'm back again next week when Red Rose's Abby Ward and Katie Daly McLean put me through my paces. You guys are 45 minutes late and now you're uh, trying to make me sing? Yeah, yeah, come on. Have no, I'll tell you another story though. It. Come on, Dylan. You've got this. The same, you're trying um, Jason Leonard brought me a pint of white wine. Join me next week to find out what that's all about. Catch you then. <laughs>